This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host, our dad, Ryan Scott. Is episode 2.16, and I have got... A, uh, I've got a really good guy on board for this evening. Um, this young man and I connected just like everybody else via social media. And, and he brings a topic that is both timely and super needed um, conversation wise in the education space. And so I want to introduce uh, my new friend, his name is Brian Miller, and he hails from the beautiful state of Montana. Um, Brian is a party of five dad. Uh, he is a husband. He is a current principal at Chief Joseph Elementary School in Great Falls, Montana. But one of the coolest things that I read in his bio, he had the opportunity to teach in China for five years uh, yeah, we will absolutely get to that five years stint in China. Uh, but first, I just want to say, Brian, man, thank you for being on the Big Ed Idea podcast. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, I don't share the video, so nobody that's listening can see this. But if you are listening, uh, Brian has this wall behind him. And I love it because it, in, in big, big letters, it says, do great things. Um, Brian, I could not agree more. Do great things, my man. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it. It's uh, kind of a slogan that we've adopted here at our school, uh, and it essentially just means each and every day you try to give to people, try to relate to people, um, you explore, you analyze your actions, and then you just try, man. Whatever you need to do, you just try it and see what happens. So Absolutely. Absolutely, man. There is a, there is a book that uh, my new school and I are, gonna, are going to – um, dive into and, and it's the um, wow now I can't think of it but anyway one of the basic tenets of that book is do your best every day whatever your best looks like um, you know you're you know one day your best might be different than the day before because you might not be feeling great but if you just take the um, take the um, stance that every day you walk into that building you're going to do your best like you said, great things will happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's just an easy little thing for me to hang my hat on, for our teachers to hang their hat on. Um, if we want our kids to do great things, uh, if we want ourselves to do great things, we need to try, obviously. But at all times, man, uh, whatever best you have at that moment, give it your best. Um, and, and we think that goodness will come out of it and then hopefully Absolutely. greatness. No, I definitely agree and definitely concur. And uh, I like it. I like it a lot. So, Brian, before we jump into um, this first segment, which, uh, you know, we, you and I were talking about these, the first things that I always like to do is model for our listeners, just that idea of connections before content. 
um, just because I think it's so important that our that our teachers get to know their students who they are first, and then we can jump into that content type of stuff. Um, but I've got to ask you first, because I'm curious, way up there in Montana, um, talk to me a little bit about like what, what what were you going through? What was your school going through during the COVID times? What did it look like up there? Yeah, so uh, I wasn't at this current school at the time. I was in a smaller rural school just down the road. Uh, and we, I think like many, but we, we saw it kind of coming at a distance uh, and we just kind of hoped that it would stay. stay. Yeah. And then it just kind of crept but it closer. Didn't. And actually for us, so because Montana, because we're rural, it kind of hit us a little bit much later than, you know, the, 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 uh, the east and the west coast. So we were actually at state basketball. Our team was playing in state basketball, uh, played Thursday, played Friday, and we were going to play for third place on Saturday. And Saturday morning, they shut down the tournament and sent everybody home. Oh, man. This crazy, like, you know, it's not here, it's not here. Suddenly it was here in a moment. Sure. We had a board meeting uh, on that Sunday to decide what to do. Our board and our our leadership decided we're going to stay in school, be cautious, but stay in school. And by the time I left that meeting and I, and I walked the 10 minutes home, my wife met me at the door and she said, the governor, governor just, uh, and then from there, it was like everybody else, man. We just were, we were flying by the seat of our pants, trying to protect kids, uh, trying to do what's best for kids, trying to, to engage in learning, uh, but also trying to figure out this pandemic. So initially we were, I think in the same boat as everybody else. Uh, and then since then we've been a little bit, more available because we are naturally somewhat social dis- distance sure. where we've had some more freedoms which is why it seems like everybody and their grandmother is moving to montana um and so now we're just dealing with that right we're we now have this crazy influx of a population and people moving from all over the country uh flooding montana so it's like everybody it's just new every day man <laughs> yeah yeah for sure do you see things um this is where I'm at. Things have pretty much returned back to normal. Um, is it kind of like that up there? Uh, absolutely. Well, it depends on how you define normal. If you define it as like we get to go to school and see our kiddos, you bet. Uh, but now you have the new challenges of, um, of of dealing with staff and students who are radically exhausted from oh, the yeah. past. Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously, the financial situations of families is radically insecure. And so there's a bunch of frustrations around that. And then you have some kids truly who are, you know, third grade and they haven't been in school ever. <laughs> and so they, so that's, we're, that's our new normal, right? It's trying to figure out how are we going to take this group of kiddos with this very strong blip of their academic career and move them along and get them caught up to speed. So, yeah. I, I, and that's everything. So. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, and, and, you know, uh, in your intro, I, I said party of five dad, and, um, anybody out there that grew up in the nineties, like we did. Um, you'll remember the party of five was in one of my favorite shows growing up in the nineties. Um, but I said that cause you have five kiddos of your own. I have four. Um, and I would imagine your five kids experienced during the COVID. Um, you know, at, at that time I had a brand new kindergartner. I had a first grade, second grader. I had a senior. Um, and then my other, other one was in preschool. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I see it and I know you see it both as a principal and as a dad. Um, so you saw how it affected your own kids. Um, I, you know, and I'll be honest, I'm so glad we're moving out of it, but you're mm. right. There are some residual, definitely some residual effects that I see in my own kids. 
Yeah, I would say the same. And, and some of it was uh, my kids thoroughly enjoyed being home. Uh, yeah. They did what they uh, when they're either in school or when they're remote, but they just really enjoyed being home and we really enjoyed being home. So uh, to be transparent, like it, it's still a little bit of a struggle to to not be that, to not be yeah. with me day in and day out. Uh, we just learned some fun stuff in the garage and my, my son kind of took off and just kind of building some various uh, creations. Uh, and so trying to almost re re-strengthen that muscle of going back to school day in and day out. It's been, it's been a struggle. Yeah, it abs- absolutely is. And, and I think um, not to get too far off in, on a tangent, but you know, I listen to a lot of Brene Brown stuff and she talks a lot about the new normal and about people um, that literally did work for two years. And now how dare you ask me to go back to the office and do what I used to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I completely get it, completely get it. And, and that's as an adult. Yeah, you know, I can't I can't imagine what our kids are feeling. No, I yeah, it's it's they're excited and there's goodness. And I think the collectively we're all excited to be back in school. Uh, but it also gave you just a glimpse of uh, I thoroughly enjoyed spending that time with with my family, just kind of engaging hands on with their learning. So it was fun. You better believe it. All right, my friend. So let's jump into this first segment. And it is called What is Up at the Scott House? And and so what I've got is uh, three words that I'm going to throw out there for our audience. And then I'll explain a little bit about what those are. But these three words describe what's going on. Uh, in my household presently. First one is summer school. Second one is chainsaw. Third one is pool time. All right. So summer school, my um, 10 year old. Well, no, sorry. She's eight now. My eight year old, um, Hazel Reese. She is the one that was in kindergarten during COVID. And um, she is doing summer school because her kindergarten year was crazy. Um, Was not in the building at all until January. And then January that year, they only went to school two days a week. And so, you know, as a former kindergarten teacher myself, I I know how important that kindergarten year is. And so she really struggled. Um, She really struggled social and emotionally. She really Mm -hmm. struggled with um, the the, the reading and the math concepts. Um, She's still struggling a little bit with the social and emotional, but her reading has blossomed. Her math is starting to get there um so when our school when her school offered summer school you know absolutely she sees it as as being able to hang out with her friends not as a you know learning opportunity so she's in summer school the second question is chain or the second word is chainsaw um yeah i'm a man and i love my chainsaw so i got to spend about four hours outside today cutting down a bunch of trees around our pool um my wife made the mistake uh, while we were swimming out there last weekend of just making the, making a statement, man, I really wish that tree was not around this pool. She so gone. Like, yep. <laughs> it's gone. And I sent her a picture and she's like, I didn't really mean it. I was like, well, sorry, you said it. So that's chainsaw. And then the next one is pool time. Um, went and here's a cool story, Brian. Um, when I was 23, 24 ish, Uh, working three jobs, going to school, trying to raise a daughter. One of the first, one of the jobs I had that at that time was a pool. I worked in a pool store, cleaning pools, um, doing maintenance on pools. I was a pool boy. Um, But one of the, one of the first pools that I ever cleaned in this town, county, I actually now own. Um, 
Yeah, very cool. And but what's not cool is my job at that time was to clear out about two feet of muck that somebody had let sit in the bottom of this pool. And so when I was 24, I cleaned this pool out and now jump start jump forward 15 years and and it's mine. So it's just a it's just a really really cool story. I thought. No, um, cool. All right, Brian. What are your three words? Uh, well, the the one of them is rest, uh, and and it's I got to learn how to rest. To be honest with you, my wife has sat me down two or three times recently and just said, um, "You're not doing a good job of resting." You uh, know, in the evenings or on the weekends, and so she's been trying to uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. <laughs> resting Um, part of that is it's hard uh, because my next word is projects there's just projects all over the place Uh, we are trying to invest in our in our little uh, place that we have uh, with you know chicken coops and and uh, cool cool yeah model our our garage into like a maker space for my kiddos Uh, so all these different things that I just see as projects coming out of my ears and so uh, whenever I am home and I'm not working uh, here at this I'm working on a project and she's like I, I want to rest. You're right. When, <laughs> right? So, uh, trying to find the balance between those two words, uh, and then in the midst of all that, the the third uh, the third word is baby because we just had our fifth baby about uh, ooh, two weeks tomorrow. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. So uh, I have a, a well. My oldest is getting his license here in about the next two weeks, and then I got three kids in the middle, ages uh, so you're 12, 10, 5, and now this one. So. Uh, in the midst of all this resting projects and whatever, there's there's a new baby in the house that yeah, we're there all will not be any resting. <laughs> no, so I don't know. I'm talking for projects and rest when there's when there's that going on, but juggling those three words for the next uh, couple of weeks. Right on, man. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I really love to see you know in this education space. Obviously, we're principals, we're leaders, we're teachers, but at the end of the day, man, we are dads. Um, yep. And yep. I definitely COVID one COVID did one thing for me. It slowed me down, um, kind of forced me to slow down. But then again, I also started a podcast, started writing books, started. So I get it. I do not slow down very well at all. Um, all right, my friend, I have got two questions for you so that me and the listeners can know a little bit more about who this Brian Miller guy is. So my first question for you, and these are totally cold. Uh, He has not heard these before. My first question is, um, one restaurant that your town desperately needs? Uh, Well, it's it's an interesting question because my family, you know, especially when you have five kids, we just don't eat out. Too expensive. (laughs) <laughs> but um, Chick-fil-A, man, uh, it, it's got to have a great fall. So there's only one in our state. What? And yeah. And so anytime we travel and it's, it's in Bozeman. So anytime we travel to Glacier or that side of the, the state, um, you know, we can, we'll eat breakfast there and then you bring your, your cup back. for lunch. <laughs> and So if we can get a Chick-fil-A though in Great Falls, I feel like the world will be a better place. Listen, and I think it would be a better place. Those chick, those Chick Fil A uh, chicken nuggets are fire, dude. Dude, our family just devours them. So <laughs> excellent, I like that idea. Um, okay, my 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 second question: What would be 
your dream vacation? It's a great question. Um, we are outdoor people. So we, we camp as much as we can. We road trip as much as we can. Uh, so my dream vacation, shoot, man. Uh, I'm going to keep it simple just for myself. I'm just going to say excluding moving around the, the world, just uh, in our country. Um, just a road trip that would, that would exhaust the, the mountain states. Uh, and actually, we've never been uh, down south to like the Texas region. Yeah. So if we do a road trip that would start here in Montana, go through uh, the Pacific Northwest, down through uh, Utah, Colorado, uh, and then come across to Arizona, Texas, that to me, if I could do that for a good length of time, uh, we've done minor trips, um, but that would be it, man. Just give me a, give me a van and a pop-up camper and time, and we would have Amen. a time. That would be great. My, that would be great. I was actually, uh, while you're sitting there, talking about that my dream vacation um so i want to take a plane with my wife i want them to drop me off in scotland with nothing but a backpack and i want a backpack from scotland to london and then Mm. catch an airplane back for like two weeks that would be my dream yeah absolutely be my dream i'll tell i can tag that dream onto mine as well yeah scotland is one of the 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 few countries in the, in Europe that I would love to go visit. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I love that country so much that I have a kilt, um, that I, any chance that I can, I pull it out. Um, some buddies and, and I on any given year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it was almost 10 years now, a group of guys and I ran a tough mutter. Um, and we all did it in kilts and painted up like Braveheart. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of fun, tons of fun. So yeah, absolutely. Love my kilt. That's awesome. All right, Brian, what questions uh, do you have for me? Um, so my first one is given the, the current climate of education and uh, the exhaustion that most educators seem to feel, why do you, and I know you just got a new position in a, in a, in a new district, bigger district, more responsible. Um, why do you continue to choose education? Because I think education is the greatest hope for humanity that we have in order to make this a better place, to be Mm -hmm. quite honest. Um, You know, one of my soapboxes. um, So the traditional family is not traditional anymore. Um, You are hard pressed to find a two parent family um, in the majority of the students in classrooms these days. And, and if you are lucky enough, most likely those two parents work 40 to 50 hours a week. Um, so when you stop and really think about who are raising our children, um, it's our educators. And, and, it, and, and I say that as a guy with four kids, knowing, um, you know, if, if not for the weekend, I might get an hour with my girls every night. Yep. Yep. Um, and so I just see... You know, not that educate, not that educators um, should be in charge of all of this stuff. I'm not saying that, but oh, we are. Present, but that's exactly right. The present state of things, we are. And so, if we don't start, um, if we don't, you know, one of the things I believe in is psychology before pedagogy. So if we don't start infusing some of that psychology into our classrooms to create better human beings, it doesn't matter what they score on the test. 
So that is why I choose education every day. Even though I tried to leave twice. <laughs> I did. I tried to be a police officer twice. Um, God intervened both, both times and kept me in the classroom. And, and I, and I say that was for a reason. So. Yeah. Good. Um, okay. My second question has two parts. Uh, so if you couldn't be an educator and, and it truly is a, it's, it's just not an option. Okay. What, do you, what are you? If I'm not an educator, <sighs> that question has changed over the years. I would have, I used to, I would have said a police officer. Um, I probably would have said a, like, uh, in the military. Um, because when I was 18, I ran from both of those wished and, you know, wished I hadn't. Um, but, but I, but I think it would be, I would be a personal trainer or a physical therapist just because as much as I love fitness and knowing the benefits of it, um, yeah, that's probably what I'd be. And here's the reason why I asked that question. And then my follow-up question, uh, one of the things that I've been kind of trying to investigate with other educators, both who have kind of walked away from the profession or considering it, or who are still knee deep in it is asking a question, what, what would you do if you couldn't be in education? And then they give an answer much like you just said there. And I say, uh, well, then why aren't you doing it? Or how can you infuse it into your school? Because if that's your next biggest passion, uh, that is probably a hobby or just something that gives you excitement or joy um, and that you're knowledgeable of. And so why are you not using that or are you using that in your school currently or in your, in your daily life now? That is a great, 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 great question. So, um, on Twitter, I am a part of uh, Fit Leaders, um, which is a hashtag, and it's just encouraging leaders um, in education to be fit because we know it helps, um, you know, mental health-wise, physical health-wise, all of that stuff. Um, but actually, at my old high school, I had a group of boys, two boys that were, for about five months, were getting up at five in the morning and coming and meeting me in the gym every morning. Um, and these were kids, these were boys that were not on track to graduate. Uh, in fact, these were boys that had been expelled the previous year. So not a lot of, um, hope in their corner. And I just, I truly feel that setting goals and working towards goals is one of those things that could radically improve academic outcomes with our kids. Um, just being able to show a kid that if you set this goal, and you reach it, yeah. okay, let's move on to the next one, you know, and, yeah. and setting goals and reaching goals builds your hope. Um, and I know just from studying hope and my, my book that's coming out, students with higher hope scores outperform other students every single time, even when you account for IQ. Mm. So mm. let's raise their hope. And you do that by goal setting. It's huge. I love that. So I appreciate that, man. Now I know a little bit more about Brian. Uh, Brian knows a little bit about Ryan. Brian hasn't hung up on this call, so I would imagine he still wants to keep talking. So, uh, all right, now I'm ready. Um, if you're ready to jump into what I love to talk about, and that is how education found Brian Miller. Um, I, I'm a true believer um, that education is a calling. Uh, I've seen it way too many times times where people try to run away from it they come back 
Um, everybody's got a unique story of how they got into this education space. So Brian, talk to us um, about how education found you. Um, like many people probably, but just ideas in general, it found me fairly young, but it didn't uh, bear fruit for many years. So through most of my middle school, elementary, high school career, uh, I just, I did not enjoy school. I was a terrible student. I think I had like a 1.78 GPA, something along there when I graduated high school, uh, played sports and found success in sports. And that's partly why I even did graduate. Uh, yeah. I grew up in the Chicagoland area uh, school district. So a fairly large school district, Highland, Indiana, uh, but I just didn't like school and for a variety of reasons. Uh, and then my senior year around October, uh, it was shortly before Halloween, I had an English uh, teacher, um, Mr. Huber, and we had to do these little journals all the time. And uh, we had to write a short story for Halloween. And I wrote a short story that I can, I can actually really quite uh, acutely remember. Um, and we submitted it. And then it was, I think, Halloween day or something like that. He was reading some of these short stories to the class and he read mine. And I remember just kind of like freaking out that he's reading my short story. <laughs> When he read it, he's like, and Brian Miller wrote that story. And the whole class was like literally turned around in shock. Like you wrote that story. And, and that was the first time I ever kind of had like this uh, identity. Yeah. And he looked at me very pointedly uh, and pointed his finger at me and said, you're a good writer. Um, and that sentence, that moment took about another five or six years before it really came to fruition. I was, I was a newlywed. My wife and I took a year off. Uh, we were living in California, uh, in Petaluma, California. We were sitting in a park, just kind of dinking around. And I just said, I think I want to be an English teacher. And I remembered Mr. Huber specifically, uh, because I knew that I'd kind of always enjoyed uh, working with people and working with kids and just kind of being um, in groups of people. And he just very specifically taught me that man uh, educators have a unique influence on kids lives even not just holistically right throughout the entire year and the whole time that they're there uh, but we have these moments where we can speak very directly like you had said earlier uh, whether it's right or wrong we are raising children uh, and we are identity and we are giving them hope and uh, and when you as an educator can look at a kid and, and speak directly into their life and give them a plan give them a hope uh, you change the, you change the world, change the life. And so um, if Mr. Huber, I'm sure over his whatever 30 some years of teaching it, he's got dozens, if not hundreds of me around the world, I can point to him as, as influencing their life. So uh, that's, that's when I became an educator. Okay. So let me ask you this. Uh, have you ever reached out to Mr. Huber to tell him um, how big of an influence he was on you? I called that school, my school, about 10 years ago, and he had already retired. I've looked from I looked for him on Facebook. I've not been able to find him. So uh, I do my best to kind of say his name as often. And I've reached out to a couple of different uh, classmates of mine who I know had him, and I can't find him. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and and what school was this? Highland High School in Highland, Indiana. Northwest okay. Indiana. All right. So if anybody is listening and they know – um, of a Mr. Huber that taught at Highland High School in Highland, Indiana. Um, I'm guessing, Brian, about the same years as me. You look like, you look like maybe you graduated in late 90s? Uh, 2002. Okay. Okay. So you're only three years younger than me. Okay. Yep. Okay. So about that time, um, 
yeah, reach out to me, reach out to Brian. Let's get this, let's get these guys connected. Cause he, he's got a lot to say to Mr. Huber, but uh, yeah. Brian, I appreciate that, man. That's a, that's a great story. Yeah. So um, you did, you were an elementary teacher. Was that right? Secondary English teacher. Oh, okay. Okay. Secondary English. And then yep. you landed in elementary as a principal. Yep. So my career started, uh, let's see, here, teaching secondary English, taught that for two years in a uh, Campbell County, Wyoming uh, middle school. And then from there, we actually had the opportunity to go overseas for five years. And I taught in an international school in Chengdu, China. Uh, I was a teacher there for about three years. And then the last two years became the administrator. Oh, very cool. And then came back to the States and I was a high school English teacher uh, in Campbell County, Wyoming. And then from there was a secondary principal in Fort Benton, Montana. And then this recent year took a job as an elementary school just down the road at a, a Great Falls uh, Elementary School. Very cool. So I, I, we've got to talk about these five years in China. Um, number one, I have zero idea where this town was. So like for the, ge- for the geographically stupid, where is this town in China? Well, well first of all, it's a city of 16 million. Oh, so uh, not much of a town. Okay. Uh, so it's, the city is called Chengdu. It's central China. Okay. It's the last city before Tibet. So on a clear day, you could actually oh, see it. Very cool. So, um, so, yeah, central China, Chengdu. Okay. So, okay. Talk to me about what the biggest similarities were. And the biggest differences between a school in China and a school in, we'll just say Wyoming or sure. my, Montana. So, uh, so you got to remember it's an international school, right? So sure. uh, you can't do, uh, a Chinese school, um, the biggest difference, uh, the, the, the difference is easiest. First of all, parents are spending uh, 50,000 years to send their kids to the school. So you have kids from over the world. Uh, they are corporate, um, big, oftentimes big money people or their ambassadors. Uh, so they're spending a ton of money to send their kids to the school. Uh, in my five years of being in the school, I had one discipline issue where I had to kick a kid out of the classroom. One, right? So yeah, these yeah. kids are to go to Harvard, uh, Ivy League schools. They want to go to uh, Hong Kong University, Singapore University. Like they, they want to go to major, major schools. So um, I would say that's the biggest difference that you don't have necessarily motivated. I came in from a traditional public school and I had to learn rather quickly that my kids get angry if I watch movies in class because they want to be learning. Um, I would have, I had to up my game substantially on, on the academic rigor uh, of, of how I taught. And so in that regard, it was, it was huge for me as an educator. And that's a what I was going to say. Yeah. So it was huge. Um, yeah. And then I had, taught AP English to these kiddos my, my last year. So uh, the expectation was radically high. Um, so that was the, the biggest difference. Uh, the similarity uh, is that kids are kids, man. They struggle with emotion. Uh, I, don't, I don't care where you come from and I don't care what country you're from and I don't care what your family structure is like. Uh, they struggle with emotions. They want to have purpose. Uh, what, why am I doing this? And why does it matter? And they want to make connections. And so um, in that regard, it was a great reminder to me, or maybe even an insight to me of, um, 
we, we, we go into these podcasts and we read these books and we try and say, well, that doesn't work for my school district or that doesn't work for my school. I mean, we kind of find these reasons not to connect to something. Uh, but the, the connection is that kids need uh, adult figures. They need relationships. They need stability. Uh, and they need to have a reason to, to do these things, to work hard, to endure, and to make sense of their complex emotions. So uh, you can do that any, in any country and in, in any language. Wonderfully said. Yeah, kids are kids. And uh, I think, you know, I was an elementary guy that went up to secondary. You're a secondary guy that went down to elementary. Um, I like to say kids are kids. Just when they get older, they get a little hairier and a little stinkier. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I mean, it's more complex, right? The emotions and the struggles are more complex, but the root of what it is is still there. Absolutely, man. So, okay, okay. So now uh, I'll tell you, I'm itching now to get into this subject because I know it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a very thought-provoking one. Um, it's going to stir some emotions in probably us and our listeners, but it's one, like we said, that, that, that greatly needs to, to be had. Um, okay, so we always like to start off, Brian, what you see as the problem of education. So what is that problem that pertains to your big idea? The problem, uh, man, this is such an almost scary topic to get into because as educators, uh, it's even hard to say some of these things out loud. Um, but truly, uh, sometimes I feel like the problem with education is that we've lost our purpose. Um, and what I mean by that is we, we are given all of these expectations from the federal government, from our local governments, from parents from ourselves from our students we're giving all these things objectives that you need to meet and all these reasons why we're here um, and sometimes I feel like we've lost that and uh, so the problem that I'm seeing specifically or that I reached out to you specifically about is um, where I'm seeing it manifest itself is we know we just had this Uvalde shooting and this is like a common broken record that's happening all the time is these shootings and uh, they're, they're happening in all sorts of contexts but the school one is the most troublesome uh, to me, largely because it's so personal and it's so uh, it's it's in my my everyday life. And so, there was a, a book called Columbine by by Dave Cullen, uh, and he kind of outlines the, that whole story, and it's just atrocious. Uh, what was most impactful to me in this story, though, is he was the first one that I ever read where he said, "I'm responsible for this." Uh, anytime a shooting happens, we are so quick. Everybody points the finger at something. It's somebody thing else. Uh, and we all know what it is because we've heard it so many times. So I don't need to reiterate it. Uh, but Dave Cullen, who was, he's a, he's a writer. He's a, he works for the media. He said, we're responsible. He's like, you know, I didn't pull the trigger. We didn't, we didn't cause these murders, but I need to take responsibility for what I can control is what he said. And he said, the media is responsible because we give a platform to these people. Yep. They, they want, and they want, uh, they want to be the stars of the show, even for a little while. And we give them that by making them the center of the circus. Uh, and so that was really convicting for me as an educator of anytime this happens, I can easily point to all of my opinions and reasons why this is happening and, and the different people who need to change and, established laws or whatever. Uh, but after I read that from him, I thought, okay, what is, what can I can 
control yeah. directly tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and that began the question of uh, the problem of education, at least that I see it in this context, and what can we do about it? Yeah. And I, the problem is the loss of, I don't know if the loss is the right word, but maybe the muddle of purpose. What are we here for? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so to reflect on your statements, uh, I have some, ver- some, some family that live in Uvalde um, oh. that, that actually teach at the high school there in Uvalde. Um, growing up, uh, I spent literally every summer from kindergarten through like sixth grade in Uvalde. Uh, my family's got a big ranch down there. We right on the, the banks of the Nueces River. And so I have actually I was there a year and a half ago for a family reunion. Um, wow. Yeah. So I have a little personal connection to, to that place. Um, but then I'll also say um, prior to when I was an AP at the high school, I was a elementary principal for two years. And my very first year, there was a school shooting in Marshall County, Kentucky, uh, at Marshall County High School. And it was, let's see, Marshall County is about an hour from that school. And I remember being a principal that day and getting the word that there was this huge school shooting literally right down the road. And I remember that feeling. I remember having to tell the teachers. Um, I remember the students asking about it. Um, and it's something that, that scares me to death. Um, for my own kids, you know, when, when my kindergartner comes home telling me she knows how to hide in the bathroom, um, yeah. from a school shooter, I mean that our kids should not be doing that stuff. And so I like your idea because you're right. Like we talk a lot about our locus of control and we can't control what's outside of us, but as educators, um, I'm interested to hear what your idea is for us as educators, what we can do either purposefully within our school, you know, what, what is your idea that centers around um, this horrible, um, I want to say, I want to say tragedy and it is a tragedy, but it's almost like you said, it's like a broken record. It's like, it's happening and happening and happening and happening. So yeah. And I, 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 maybe is, I feel like I need to, to set the standard that I, I, this is just from my own personal experiences and wrestling, right? Uh, when I send my kids to school and wanting them to be safe. And when I, you've been a high school or you are a high school principal. And so there, there's something very intimate or very convicting that when you, you are giving over a diploma to a, a child and they walk away and you, you're saying like, you have, our name is on this and we are putting our stamp on you saying you have achieved whatever we think it is is important to achieve. And so anytime that I was a part of a graduation as a principal in a variety of different schools, I just had this deep conviction of if all of these kids walk across the stage with a 4.0 and all of them have full ride scholarships to the best schools, but they're jerks. Yeah. We failed, right? We, um, but that doesn't seem to be a focus. And so I have kind of just three things that that um, I've, I've kind of just kind of delineated of like, this is what I feel like, at least for myself, this is my conviction of what I need to start refocusing on or putting emphasis on. Um, and one of them is simply purpose. Um, I remember I worked at a school one time and they had this uh, banner and 
multiple different times throughout the school of you need to get an education or you need to get a degree so that you can buy this. And it was either like a nice car or a nice house. And it was like very in your face. And I thought to myself, I'm not busting my ass each and every day so that you can go buy nice things. That's not yeah. my purpose. No, that's, no. That's not where they're there. But if, but if that's their purpose, right? So if that's, and you can take that sort of statement and manipulate it in a variety of different ways. And we have similar statements everywhere in our sure. country, right? Sure. Um, so it, it's just radically empty because, and that's where I feel like is we're struggling or we're failing because if a kid goes out and they buy this nice car or if a kid goes out and they, they buy this nice house or they date the, the most prettiest person in school, or they get all these things that we say is important and they still are miserable. Uh, that's why they're so frustrated. And so, uh, you know, every time a school shooting happens, people, my family and friends from around the country who aren't educators call and they say, well, why is it schools? Well, they're shooting up schools probably, I think, because that's where they felt the most frustration and angst or maybe the most lied to of you told me this, this was going to be, and I had it or I couldn't get it and I'm miserable. And so it's my payback. Right. Um, and so giving purpose to, to, kids that is outside of academic success. And I know that's really hard to say as an academia, right? I care about learning and I care about test scores and, and I'm, I'm in all of that, the data with our school just as much as anybody else. Um, but we, but how much emphasis do we have in, in our pre-year uh, trainings and throughout the summers that we talk about not just how kids learn, but how kids feel? Sure. How we wrestle with emotions. You and I talked before this even started recording. Uh, we've had so many kids who have spent 10 to 12 years failing an educational system. We have to try something different, but it's not just academics. It's also behaviors. We have to radically try something different of how we interact with kids who are just struggling. And so for me, it's uh, we need to radically redefine our purpose. Why are kids coming to school? Why are they here? Uh, if it's to get a degree and to go to college only, I think that's I think that's flawed. If it's to, uh, if it's to be happy, I think that's flawed. Uh, truly, um, you don't come to school so that you can be happy. Sure. Um, there are ways that you can find happiness that school can help you provide. One of them is purpose. Um, and if I'm getting long long winded and you want to interject, brother, you just interrupt me at any given time. All right, I'm gonna interject. <laughs> so, okay, so I want you. I want to reflect on on some things that you said there. Um, cause I, I definitely do agree with every stinking thing that you were saying. Um, number one, um, shouldn't schools be built around the idea of, of connecting our students with knowledge that they can then go out into the world and make the world a better place. Right. So, yes. So I'm going to give you my favorite definition and, it, and it's kind of my third point of what we're not teaching kids. I don't think. It's, it's the uh, a redefined definition of humility, um, which we all think of humility as thinking less than yourself. You're this great person and you kind of think like, oh, it's not really me. It's my person. We, we kind of push away the, uh, the spotlight. Uh, but the definition that I've come across, his name is uh, Derek Jensen. He wrote a book called Humilitas, The Lost Key to Leadership. Uh, and he says, humility is being able to look in the mirror and saying, I'm a badass. Like, I am fantastic at this. I have this. I have this. Like, you can click off all these things that you're like, I have a ton of money or I have a ton of relationships, whatever it is I have, that you can acknowledge it fully and proudly. But then the next component of it is how can I give it away? Sure. How can, and that is, is his uh, definition of humility. And I feel like as schools, we do a terrible job of this 
because we say do group work. We say do this, do that. But then what do we honor? We honor the valedictorians. We honor GPAs. And if you are trying to be the best in your class, if you're trying to, if you're concerned about your rank because you want to go to a certain school, you're not going to help other people, right? Because that's going to diminish your abilities to move on and to be successful. So we, I think generically, uh, education does a bad job of teaching kids how to find a skill, find a talent, find a resource, find a passion and give it away. I love, 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 love that. I, uh, yeah, I love that. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that about a hundred years from now, um, the history books are going to point to two things for the demise of the, of United States. Number one, I think it's going to be cell phones. And number two, I think it's going to be rugged individualism. Um, I I think we have ingrained this notion with ourselves, our kids that, that, you know, we're in this world solely for ourselves. And I think what you're saying, um, if I heard it correctly, is that we need to be propping up this notion that we're in this world for each other. Um, You know, so to me, it's not a hard line to draw. radical individualism and our radical increase of depression Sure. because you are depressed because I think, and I'm not saying this is holistically for everybody. I do believe that if we can teach our kids uh, and teach ourselves to like, so for example, um, when I was uh, at the high school uh, in Fort Benton there, part of our initiative would be to go off and do things. And when we had a seventh grade class that was really struggling with radical individualism, we took a half day and we went to a local house. She had a fallen down tree in a storm. We cut up the tree. We put it in this thing. We cleaned up her yard and we did that for half a day. And the conversation, like, look at what you have been able to do. And all you did was give time, right? You brought your hands and you gave time and look at what you can do. You bless somebody else. And I don't care what grade you are. You find satisfaction on completing a task, like you said earlier, and also finding uh, joy in seeing somebody else happy or blessed. And so suddenly you have a purpose, right? You have to, I may feel crappy, but if I go help this person and I see them being uh, succeeding or being happy, that gives you fulfillment and that gives you purpose. Uh, And I don't, do a good job of articulating that with our kiddos and, and explaining to them that even if your role is, you know, you're a popular kid, you're a super popular kid. You're, I think your job as a popular kid is to use that gift, that resource, and to find the kid who is sitting by himself, you invite him over, that kid will not Amen. be ostracized. Amen. So teaching our kids that, it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be whatever. It's just whatever you have in abundance or that you're good at, just give it away. Uh, and I think that when we do that, we can give purpose and identity to kids that is beyond the superficial. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to throw something out. I just actually read today um, part of my research on hope. So there is a direct correlation between a, uh, a kid with or a person with a low hope score and both suicidal ideation, depression, and violence. And that violence is violence directed towards others, i.e. school shootings. Um, I also have read um, every year the Gallup poll does a hope survey for high school students. And in the 10 years preceding COVID, um, because I'm COVID wonkied everything, but from 2009 to 2019, the the score 
uh, of hope, hope, how am I trying to say this? Hopefulness for our high school students decreased 40%. And so we have a generation of students that are now hopeless beyond measure, way more than any other generation. And we know that some of the direct um, effects of being hopeless are increased suicide, increased violence, decreased academics, decrease uh, or increased social isolation. And so to me, it's very simple that if we just work on this, on this uh, metric called hope, which is both able to be assessed and able to be increased to me, it would help in all of these areas that we are talking about. Yeah. What are, what do we put, what is the hope? Is there a definition of, of what we're trying to achieve or is it just a generic hope? Okay. So uh, yeah, no. Future, they'd be hopeful for a job because uh, I'm going to interject my own just thoughts as you're, as you're chatting there is, uh, you know, my, well, however long ago, 20 years ago or something like that, we, in order to be successful, you have to get a college degree, right? This is, we got rid of the trades a little bit. We kind of moved yep. away from trades. We said, you need to go to college. But then we also radically increased the cost of college. That's right. So we're, t- we're, we're going to get rid of the trades in the high school. You have to go to college to get a good job or to be successful. But most of you, if not a large percentage of you, can't afford it. <laughs> That's right. So, and then if you do go to college and you get this massive debt, now you've done all the steps that we said are the proper steps for success, but you're in massive debt and you probably still can't get a great job because now we've, everyone has this degree, right? Uh, Anyways, that's my, my, what are we giving, what is is the hope that we're trying to instill in them? Is it this college or is it just hope of being a purposeful, um, uh, a purposeful person that has, that has a role in society that has a role in in being harmonious with people around them. Yeah. 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 So I see hope as in, um, so there's a, there's a, there's a macro definition and a micro. So the macro is hope is that tomorrow can be better than today. And I can create that. Like I have physical control of what tomorrow looks like. That's the macro. And the tools to endure through these, hard times is absolutely absolutely yep. yeah absolutely um hope um hope has actually been found to be the single uh biggest mitigating factor for trauma um so if kids with high hope can endure trauma traumatic uh events um mm. way better than kids with low hope scores but the micro definition is that um i set a goal whether that's an academic goal, maybe that's a life goal, maybe that's just, look, as toddlers, we learn hope setting um, by, by as, a, as, a, as, a, as a toddler, okay, I want that toy, but I can't get to that toy, but sure. I can develop a, um, a pathway to get to that toy to get me that toy. And that <laughs> might be yelling at my mom, and if my mom, which it is, and through yep. those caring relationships, and, and that's why having caring relationships as a child are so important because it helps build a child's hope um, that that I can do this. And if I can't do it on my own, then guess what? I've got people around me that can help me get to that goal. And so that's kind of what goal setting, um, how that plays into hope. 
So I'm gonna, I love that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back to the initial statement of, I think where schools are struggling, or I think they used a more direct term or aggressive term failing. Uh, and I'm gonna go to the discipline that you and I are chatting about earlier. Um, we, we have a bunch of standards and we have a bunch of uh, assessments of academics and, and where kids are succeeding in a very specific genre. But when it comes to our troubled kids or our frustrated kids, um, we don't. We don't. And in, in all reality, like I'm thinking of some, even some of the consequences that I've had or, or that I've enforced, which is you screwed up today. And so tomorrow you're going to suffer more consequences. Uh, and so that's not instilling hope at all. That's instilling frustration and it's instilling this downward cycle of constant because now they're going to miss class and now they're going to, uh, they're going to struggle more in academia um, instead of spending an considerable amount of time giving these kids tools and resources to, to find hope and in, in overcoming to, to changing. Yeah. Uh, I'm all in on that. So, so what does it look like? How do we do that? Okay. So there's three components of hope. And I, and I don't want this to be all about me, Brian. So when I, when I talk about this, well, let's jump back to you and your three things. Um, but the three components of hope is goals, pathways, or way power is another word for it, and willpower. So goal is what you want. Way power is how you're going to get there. But then also alternate paths. So if one of those paths to how you're going to get there is broken, that you already have another plan to get around it to what you want. And then willpower is both your internal motivation or, and um, people around you supporting you to that goal. Hmm. And, and, and to me, that's the educators and our school systems. We can, we can fill all three voids. Like, like I've heard of, you know, um, goal setting for like when you take the MAPS test or the NWEA, you know, we did that in elementary. Um, but we never really talked about, okay, this is your score. How are you going to get there? Mm. What, do you, what are you going to do when you come across a, a, a question that you don't yeah. know, you know? Yeah. And then the willpower comes in with both the intrinsic motivation that a lot of our kids don't have. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. Learned helplessness is another pandemic that we're going through. Um, so both the internal motivation, but then also the external motivation of, all right, that teacher walking around during the assessment, you're doing a great job. And I can tell you are paying attention. You are taking your time. Wonderful. Great job. Um, but then it's also celebrating those moments of, of growth, um, celebrating those times. Um, at, my, yeah. at my elementary school, I had a growth wall. And when kids did better than the day before on anything, they got to go sign the wall. And so a kid that had been suspended one day comes back the next day. He doesn't get suspended that day. Sign the group. Yeah. You know? Boom. And so it's building that, that intrinsic motivation that, that we are uh, creators of our own destiny. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm, that's but, good. But, but I think all of this definitely ties into what you're saying, because what you're saying effectively is um, the part that schools play in these school shootings is that maybe we're not catching those students early enough, or maybe we're not 
um, helping those students overcome some stuff that we should have seen. Well, and here's the, here's the frustrating part with all of this. And I'll be honest with you is that uh, I can do what I can in my school, right? You can do what you can in your school and the people listening can do what they can in their school. But we also are tied down to these state and federal regulations of no one's going to come and look at your growth law, right? You're you, you don't submit that to anybody. What you do submit is your state tests, yeah. right? That's how you're graded and that's how you're, you're seen and, and, and assessed and, and all of that. And so I understand that, that, that that's what's glaring at us each and every day. Um, but so I, how, we, how, we, how we reconcile that with and another component that I have of where I think schools are failing is just dealing with the, I'm going to the human being stuff. Uh, and that phrase comes from actually George Carlin when he was one time asked <laughs> uh, how, was he able, how he was able to pump out so much content, right? Where other uh, comedians would take years to get about an hour's worth of content. And George Carlin about every year or two was pumping out these massive um, DVDs or whatever uh, of content. And he would say, well, you know, when you first start with comedian, you tell jokes and they're just like a low hanging fruit jokes. And then when you get past that, you start talking about, um, uh, like this different situations around life that are kind of, uh, comical and, and whatever. Uh, and then you just keep digging deeper and you start talking about your fears and then you start talking about your failures and you dig, dig into the human being stuff. And when you start digging into the human being stuff, not only is the content richer, uh, it's what connects everybody. And I feel like uh, as an educator, as a principal, um, to be honest with you, I don't have time, <laughs> yeah. right? I don't have time to deal with the human being stuff, not just like with my kiddos, but also with my staff. And so, you know, I'm rewriting our handbook and it's so simple to write in all these procedures for discipline, all these procedures for and expectations. Um, but how often do we um, throw aside our curriculum? And say, guys, we're just not dealing dealing with this. We're dealing with the human being stuff today, whether it's you specifically or our class specifically or our, our school. And we get so afraid of that because somebody somewhere is looking at us saying, yeah, but you, you put in your lesson plans. That you're going to follow this curriculum today. And you need to get it done by the end of the quarter because you have these district tests you have to take. And and we, we, we don't have time to deal with the human being stuff. And so that's, that's where I'm, I'm really wrestling with. How do, I, how do we do that as a staff and as education in general, where you get these kids who come in and they're radically struggling? Uh, because as we all know, behavior is communication, right? They're just communicating their struggles. And so a kid who's, who's radically frustrated, um, they need so much more time uh, for us to investigate and sit with them and wrestle with that human being stuff rather than tell them, well, this is unacceptable and you hit somebody and that's unacceptable. And if you hit somebody, according to our handbook, you get suspended for a day. And so now you're gone. Um, that has done nothing but pump a ton of adrenaline and a ton of steroids into this kid's issues and frustrations of I'm not accepted. Uh, nobody understands me and I don't really have a, a way or the tools for hope or to, to, to move on. And so um, how we wrestle more with the, the human being stuff. One of my old, uh, Glenn Willenda, who's an old uh, teacher that I taught with in China. He said, education focuses so much on what the, on the future child, instead of focusing on the child that they have. Absolutely. Of that. We're always That's talking about great quote. will be rather than just saying, here's who you are and here's what you are. I'm going to wrestle and love on that kid right now. I think we all want to do that. 
but in the craziness of our schedules and the craziness of the expectations of of all the mandates and, and regulations, it's honest, it's it gets what it's what's pushed pushed aside. So I want to I want to uh, interject and reflect on something. So in my own teacher prep courses, um, I remember uh, very vividly, you know, learning um, Piaget, Skinner, Bloom, Gardner, and, you know, and, and, you know, they were the educational theorists that I would say most of our education system um, attends to the one that people don't. And I think you're talking about here is um, Maslow, you know, Maslow. And there's actually um, there's there's this school of thought. It's called humanism or humanistic education. And it's exactly what you're talking about, where you put um, the let's see. And I've got it pulled up here because I want to make sure I say it the right. Humanism seeks to engage the learner as a whole where there is intellect feelings, social capacities, artistic and practical skills are given attention in the learning process. So I think what you're saying here, and I completely agree, completely agree. We forget to teach who we have versus who we want. And I, and yes. I definitely agree, man. If we brought some humanity back into our classroom and we paid attention a little bit more we would see that kid that sits by himself every day. We would see that kid that talks to no one the entire day. We would be able to see that this kid is stuff suffering. Maybe we could interject before this kid got to a point where they were so hopeless and in need of so much attention that they did something, you know. Yeah, and, and, and that's where it's, it's hard for me to even say these words sometimes because and I'm sure you have all the teachers that you work with and know and friends, every single teacher would say, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Right. Uh, And that's where I I think we did. I don't have an answer other than we need to keep trying. We need to be a little holden by it. And it's even, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I feel like it's not just the students, um, but it's with our staff, right? Right. There's, there's staff who sit by themselves. There's staff who struggle. Um, And how, how can we expect that staff member to love on those kids in their class in their classes to to see that struggling kiddo when they themselves are struggling with the same amount of of depression and loneliness and sadness right so part of this as an administrator it's not always for me necessarily the students but i feel that conviction with my staff if i if i can ensure that all of my staff feel very um seen right throughout the day their uniqueness is seen. So this year I tried really hard. Uh, I met with every single one of my staff and I gave them a very specific, like when I see you, I see you as this. And I gave them an object. That's cool. uh, Analogy of some sort. And it took a ton of time and it was super exhausting. And honestly, it was terrifying uh, that they might hate it. Um, But wanting them to see like, you have a very specific purpose and I see you very uniquely um, hoping and believing that if I can fill that bucket for them, then they can in turn see that in their students because I can't reach all my students, but my staff can. One thousand, um, yeah, right. So uh, I, I'm just that's that's my conviction right now is is how do we allow space and even give? And here's where here's the rubber, right? Here's here's where I'm I'm struggling uh, to be able to stand in front of my bosses potentially uh, and say, yeah, we didn't get to unit six because we spent three weeks as a school wrestling with the human being stuff. Yeah. 
right? And that's okay. And that's okay, right? And, and, and they might say, like, well, look at your scores at plummeted. And, and for me to have the confidence and the composure and the, and the ability to say, yep, you're right, we didn't. They'll get it later. But we wrestled with the human being stuff, and I think that we saw some kids, uh, some, some hurt and some pain, and we gave them some tools. So um, that's, 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 I guess, my fiction of where I need to do better. So I've got uh, any. So when I was in the elementary classroom, I would always tell my students, you made me so happy. You gave me goosebumps. And <laughs> um, and it was true. When I had goosebumps, I knew I was like, it was an awesome lesson or a student had said something or right now, dude, I've got goosebumps on my arms and my legs because I think what you're saying is something I I I feel to my core. Our job is to make sure all of our people, parents students teachers feel valued seen and heard every single day and, and and my belief is buddy if we can do that and we can make them feel that way the academics will rise i think and and i'm okay i haven't always been popular when i said this i'm okay telling people look our scores are probably going to suck for a little bit mm-hmm. but hang on tight because as soon as our kids believe in themselves, man, there's nothing they're not going to be able to do. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's the confidence that I feel like it, that we have to, we say it, but we have to truly believe it. That if I can, especially as the younger that you are, it's, it's, they're more fearful that you are of, of what's to come. Um, but if I can say, I have this kid now, and I'm not going to worry about the kid in the future. I have this kid now believing that if we don't get to unit six now, but I make every effort I can to love this kid, to support this kid, to give him these tools, he'll pick up whatever that is in the future. And I'm going to let the future student uh, uh, learn that and, and, and worry about that. I'm worried about this kid right now. I'm not worried about the future kid. I'm worried about this Amen. kid right now. What he needs right now is for me to invest in his humanity. Uh, not his science score. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. So, all right, I'm going to speak this from the mountain. If there are any educational policy makers that are listening to this, um, I'm hoping um, Senator or I'm hoping uh, Commissioner Jason Glass from the state of Kentucky, you probably will be listening. I'm listening to uh, Miguel Cordoba uh, at the United States Department of Education. If you are listening, which I hope you are, uh, listen, guys, can we make humanism an essential standard? Um, And then, you know, I'll tell you this, Brian, one of my big ideas is that we use kindergarten first and second as the great equalizer. So we know we're having all of these kids come in with social, emotional, academic deficits. But when the hell do we ever slow down enough to close that understanding that once those kids have it, then they're going to read, then they're going to have number sense. Then they're like to, to ask a kindergartner that literally has the emotional capacity of a two-year-old when he walks in your building to be able to read by the end of kindergarten is preposterous. Um, Mm. So, my vision, my my big idea is to slow down early in elementary to try to close those types of gaps, those those mm-hmm. emotional gaps. And then, like you said, trust that your teachers later on are able to fill those academic gaps because you've filled some other gaps in the very beginning. 
Yeah, and, and I know that I'm man, even like when I hear us chat about it, I, I can hear uh, even my own. <laughs> like, well, that's you know, future teachers, the seventh grade teacher, the twelfth grade teacher, they're they're often saying, well, if, if the younger teachers would have taught this, you know, standard, then I could focus on these other things, and I hear that. Where I'm where I'm struggling with, and it's a process that we have to believe and the process is one of my big initiatives for next year with my staff is this 80-20 concept. If we can spend 80% of our time in the beginning of the year on behaviors and, and on social emotional and on, on loving kids and giving them a sense of, of purpose and place and value and safety, I think we'll, we'll gain ground in the end I of the agree. year. I agree. Right? So take that concept. And I think teachers know this, right? They know that for their classroom. I think that applies from K through 12, right? So we're going to back off, like you say, on curriculum in the younger years, and we're going to focus immensely on the person, believing that in the future years, they'll gain it. That's right. So That's right. Uh, if there's a, if there's a economist out there who can run some numbers and give, give us some some data that can uh, put some girth behind our statements. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. So uh, anybody out there that's listening, I don't know any economists by name, but if you are an economist and you're listening, uh, please crunch the numbers. So what would a investment um, in these types of skills in the early years, how would that pay off farther down the road? So hit me up. Um, Brian, I tell you what, man, we have been talking for a while um, and I, we could easily make this a part two and make it into another episode because we have so many things that we're talking about. And, and I, I believe everything that you are saying. Um, but, but I think, I think we've talked a lot about it and I think we we're at a good place. And so I want to tell you, thank you. Um, your, your three kind of big ideas were um, purpose. So making sure that we are intertwining purpose into our lessons um, I see this as, um, so for every standard you're teaching, how can your student use it in the real world to make the real world a better place? So if we're learning geometry, all right, how can you use that geometry to build a homeless shelter for those students in your school that are homeless or, or whatever? Um, secondly, redefine humility. I love that. Um, how can I give it away was that big thing. Um, so Essentially, we're not learning this um, to get us to the next step. We're learning this so that we can do something for someone else. Is that correct? Did I say yeah, that correct? Okay. Yep. And then the last one is just that, that, um, that idea of humanism, that at the root, um, schools are not for content. Schools are for creating better human beings. Yeah. Yeah, and we can use our content to do that for sure. I'm Absolutely. all for sure, for sure. Our content, but uh, the content is the vessel, man. It's not. It's not the god. Ooh, I like that. That's right. And I agree with you. And I think what you're saying is, if that we took these three things and we tried very purposefully to implement them, we would have happier students. We would have uh, more regulated students. We would have less isolated students. We would have students with a higher hope score, which in turn would decrease some of these horrific things 
um, that no teacher, no student, no parent should ever have to go through in our school buildings. Yeah, yeah, and I'll just end it with this, or at least my part in this. Uh, I think almost every educator that I've ever known tries this on a daily basis. I don't think we've said anything that anyone's going to be like, I've never thought about that. Of course, they <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the vision that I have and the role that I have that I'm trying to embrace is uh, to put some confidence behind it and some strength behind it and to say, I know these things and I know them to be true. And I want to walk into next year emboldened by I'm going to do these things. And if that means lower test scores or if that means hard conversations with my administrator or my boss, uh, I can go in emboldened and saying, this is what's best for kids and this is what's best for our society. And this will, in the end, produce uh, quality men and women of character, integrity, who have hope. And, and that's, that's, my, that's my conviction. So I know teachers are trying and I am thankful for every educator out there. Um, yeah. I love it, man. And um, I know you wrote a blog post on this very um, topic. Didn't you write a blog post on this topic? I did. Yeah. I sent it to you. It's just called uh, mass shootings. We are responsible. Millerbryan.com. Okay. And what I'm going to do is I will link that in the show notes as well. Um, so anybody that is, that is listening to this, it's a very good article. Uh, talks a lot about what we talked about tonight or today or this morning, whatever. Um, but um, Brian, man, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Um Definitely, there's going to be somebody out there that wants to connect with you. So, if somebody wants to get a hold of Brian Miller and they just want to just talk and see what maybe get some more of your ideas, how can they do that? Uh, my blog is pretty simple, millerbrian.com. Uh, and I'd actually would throw a little shout out if you have an idea that you want to publish. Uh, I want to use my platform, part of this humility. Uh, I want to use this platform to let other people share their thoughts and ideas. So, reach out. Um, but then my email, uh, MillerBrianStoriesMatter at gmail.com. Um, reach out anytime. I'd, I'd be more than willing and happy and almost anxious to hear your thoughts. Anxious. I love that. All right. And to my big Ed Idea listeners, if, if you just stumbled across this podcast, I just want to tell you thank you for uh, taking your time your precious time, because time is definitely a precious commodity that a lot of us don't have. Um, yeah. Thank you for taking that time and listening to Brian um, and his big idea. Um, we appreciate you. We appreciate your time. We appreciate everything you do in the, the education space. If you have an idea that you would like to come on the show and talk about, please hit me up on Twitter. It is Ryan C. Scott, 1981. Uh, you can find me at Ryan Scott 1981 on Instagram, or just find me on Facebook. I'm the guy with four daughters posting ridiculous stuff all the time. Um, but with that, I just want to tell everyone listening. Thank you. I want to tell Brian, thank you immensely for coming on the show. It has been a heck of a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. So Brian, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. And like, my grandpa Janoski used to always say when I left his house, he'd say, Ryan, I'll see you in the funny.
thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper. <laughs>